No Time to Die, new entry at number one. Obviously, loads of correspondence on this, so we'll do some now and then a bit more uh, later in the programme. First, here's lobby correspondent Lee in London. All I can say is, wow, I did not think it would be possible for the film to live up to the amount of hype that it has got but it absolutely blew everything else out of the water. And uh, that, that bit where that thing happened, which I'm not going to mention, um, totally unexpected. Did not think that was going to happen at all. OK, there's Lee. Uh, this... I, just, I, just, I, I like the fact that the phrase, that it's your phrase, that bit when that thing happened. Has, an actually, has actually now passed into common parlance. Well done. It's like somebody else somebody else tweeted the programme to say, this is going to be another unfortunate incident, isn't it? The unfortunate incident of the dog in the night time. That's, what, that's, <laughs> that's um, yeah, that's, that's where it is. I mean, so, so let's, let's continue our ballet uh, as we tiptoe around everything. Um, an email from another Simon. Dear Very Black Coffee and Mildly Green Tea. Last week mm-hmm. I sat down in my local world of Sydney with some trepidation. The long run time, the troubled production, the fact that I'd read that the director's favourite ever Bond moment was the Bond Vespa train conversation in Casino Royale. <laughs> was I Kitchen? in for a two and three quarter hour made by committee watch advert? Fortunately, <laughs> says Simon, my fears turned out to be misplaced. Yes, some of the dialogue sounds like it was written by Mike Myers writing a parody of Austin Powers. Yes, there were plot holes so big you could drive an incomprehensibly acquired private island through them. <laughs> and yes, the apparent desire to pull across plot points from previous Bond movies felt jarring and un- unnecessary, but somehow it all worked. The action sequences were suitably actiony. Craig was as solid as ever. And Lashana Lynch made the most of an ultimately somewhat underwritten character. But more than all of this... I realised that the grin on my face was because, for the first time since 1917, the film, not the year, I was back in a cinema again. Back to wow. grumbling about code non-compliance. Back to wondering if that's a salsa I can smell. Uh, <laughs> coming from the kids in row M. Back to grinning from ear to ear. For that, if nothing else, thank you, Mr Bond. Take it, Tonk, and down with blockbusters played through laptop speakers. Can I say well, two things in relation to that? Firstly, on the subject of the incomprehensibly acquired private island. Of course, incomprehensibly acquired until the news story broke this week about the Pandora Papers, and it turns out that that kind of stuff is going on all the time without anyone knowing about it. So, hey, I think that's actually an, you know, a pertinent and up-to-the-moment political point. Um, of course, there are plot holes you could drive a truck through. It's a James Bond movie. Um, find me one that, that that isn't the case. Uh, I do think that the general consensus now is that um, there was a weird thing on the podcast last week of when we when we did the review, the podcast flipped the clip. Um, for some reason, it ended up with a clip of Daniel Craig and Lashana Lynch. But the the clip that we had played when recording the show was actually the clip of uh, Rami Malek doing his most evil Bond villain. It sort of reminded me a little bit of Eddie Redmayne. Eddie Redmayne in Jupiter Ascending. And it is true that, you know, yeah, it's like on set, you think they were going, can you be a bit more sinister, Rami? Can you just talk a bit quieter, just be a little bit more sinister? But, you know, I think I don't agree with that thing about any Bond film is only as good as its villain. 
I don't think that's true. I think that's, and in fact, I think in this case, that's particularly not true. Possibly because, like on Her Majesty's Secret Service, this this film is more about Bond than any film. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think so. I think it's actually the the film is as good as Bond, and I think that Craig is the best Bond. Uh, I agree with that, uh, Christian. On this email. Um... Dear esteemed history and rejuvenated future, reflecting on what Mark was saying about Nolan having reinvented Bond in Inception, I think yes. that one of the most striking features of No Time to Die... By the way, I should say in general, we're, we're in discussing this film, we're not... I don't think we're spoiling it in any way. No, 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 no. We're, we're, we're still adhering to the no yes. spoilers rule. We, we, if we do a spoilery thing, it's not going to be now. I think that one of the most striking features of No Time to Die was how willing it was to be in conversation with the works it had inspired and how much more improved it was for it. Nolan's Inception was given a pretty obvious wink when Bond is rudely awakened at sea and the opening sequence where Bond waits for the last, imp- last possible window of opportunity seemed a wonderful homage to Nick Fury's escape in the Russo Brothers' Winter Soldier. The interplay there between Samuel L. Jackson's physical vulnerability and Craig's emotional wounds really put a fresh spin on why Bond resorts to violence. But even more of a pleasant surprise was the film's willingness to borrow from a parallel medium, video games. Gaming has long been indebted to cinema's visual language, and the cutscene, heavy action genre, borrows from the Bond movies especially. How rewarding then to see the environments of No Time to Die draw... On this, exchange, uh, on this exchange, fans of the 2013 reboot of Tomb Raider will notice a certain setting being almost duplicated and the forest sequence bears the imprint of 2019's Death, Stra- uh, Death Stranding. The game, which features Mars Megelson and notably Leia Seydoux, also featured many of this sequence's elements, a fog-soaked forest, th- uh, th- and I think we can mention the shadowy enemies. Yeah, I think we can do that. Yeah, that's Isolated and vaulting an isolated strand or road that sits above it all. I think we can do all that. Anyway, I was un- I haven't played. Have you played Death Stranding? No, I haven't. I mean, I as 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 you know, I've played very few video games. Um, you know, Zelda is pretty much it. But um, but that's that's absolutely fascinating. And how interesting that that's video games feeding back into cinema. I know that's not the first time that's happened, but how interesting that you're citing, and I'm taking this on good faith, that you're citing examples that appear to be not only clear examples, but also acknowledged examples. If there is a setting that is clearly derived from a video game, that's the way, that is a way of a film looking back over its shoulder video games, but without, it's not stealing from them. It is, it is nodding toward them. And I've often talked about the way in which, you know, that question in horror films, it, that thing about, you know, horror films will eat themselves, pop will eat itself. If you if you reference other films, is it plagiarism or is it homage? And there is, a, there is a very thin line. But if Bond is indeed, as you suggest, and again, I say I take this on good faith because I don't know, if it is clearly referencing the environment of a video game and not, you know, not covering that, then that is a, that is a very interesting point. And a, what, a, what a great email. And... We'll do more Bond correspondence <clears throat> later, because thank you very much for the hundreds and hundreds uh, of emails. Um, here's uh, here's um, a naysayer. Yeah, go on. Um, and you, you'll notice this, and in the naysayers, in when, when we come to it next, that there is a, a there's a theme. Wilson yeah. Ramos on our YouTube channel. Pretty disappointed. It was far too long. If you're going to have a nonsensical plot, at least make it funny. Here we get to the key. Here we here we get to the key sentence. I think the endless wokeness and feminism crowbarred into the plot 
made okay, it a, made it a snooze fest. Can I, I, I want to say this, anybody who uses the word wokeness or, you know, it's the, what was the name of that? The Andrew Neil segment on the, on the show, on the thing that he left, woke watch. Anybody who genuinely ever uses that word as a, you know, as a form of criticism or, you know, invoking something, I'm sorry. I, it's like, I don't care what you say anymore because it's, just yeah i mean if no. you don't if you don't like a movie because of uh something structural or a performance or the soundtrack or the ending or or for some intelligent reason or whatever it woke has become a almost a meaningless word now it's but almost you, a meaningless word utterly meaningless utterly meaningless used by nitwits <laughs> so wilson there you go but, but hey but you know thanks thanks, <laughs> thanks. For, but thanks for getting in touch and we we appreciate you being there even if you're completely incorrect in every way anyway yeah. mark fletcher here we go okay uh it should have been called no time to try unfortunately it's very long very lazy and just getting fed up with everything being recycled from previous bond films uh really dull and uh, whatever they do with bond in the future i hope they remember to make him fun again uh don't know where to. <laughs> I don't know where to engage. Can I just? Um, can, I, can I say one thing in this? They're just doing things that they've done in previous Bond films. Really? Really? Yes. Really? Hmm. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Go. Do you think he saw the same? Really? Film? I think he saw. <laughs> I think Christmas he went into Sport. Adam's family too. Exactly. Yeah, I think he just <laughs> saw the wrong. You just saw the wrong Bond film. I've been sent a note which tells me I'm drifting off mic. And the reason I'm drifting off mic is because if I laugh explosively, it, it pops. So I'm okay. sorry, someone. I'm trying to, I'm trying not to drift off mic. But uh, that's, um, that's what, yeah. And if, can I just John, say again yes. on the subject of that? Really? Yes, on mic. Are you sure? <laughs> Go see it again. Uh, John Dews, uh, love listening to your discussion. And Mark's description of both the film and Craig as Bond. For me, all the other Bonds, with the possible exception of Dalton, were film stars rather than actors. Craig is both. He exudes charisma, ruthlessness and vulnerability in equal measure. I think he is by far and away the best Bond. And it is good that he is ending now so that there is a body of work that enhances his reputation even more and he can move on to something else. I agree with that email, and I think you're absolutely right about Dalton. Mm. I, I said this when I was talking about the film before, that there is a, there's a line of succession which goes Lazenby, Dalton, Craig. And, you know, in many ways that sounds like it's sort of damning with faint praise because obviously Lazenby was only in one. Um, Dalton did two, and it, the producers made no secret of the fact that they were trying to get Piers Brosnan, but then he got locked into the TV show. So, But Dalton was brilliant, in as much as Dalton was the person who laid the groundwork for the tougher and yet somehow more vulnerable bond that you got in um, in Daniel Craig. And and I agree as well about that thing about the arc of the Daniel Craig films. It feels like a complete arc. It feels like a, like a continuous story with a beginning, a middle and an end. And I think that that's... I, I struggle to think of another bond who, who managed to do that. I mean, obviously, in terms of, you know, of Connery, 
he was you know they were building blocks they were doing everything for the first time but uh i do think i do think that daniel craig has achieved something remarkable with that well he can he can certainly come out of this with his head held high and go i made bond my own you know you were told not to drift off mic yes you might want to drift off mic for this next um okay all right a piece of bond correspondence going back over here from michael denny okay This movie was every bit as disappointing as I expected it to be, if not even more so. I am sick of this emotionally weak, humourless, woke Bond, and this movie was the worst foray so far into trying to make Bond acceptable to blue-haired feminists. The plot was one big hole. The actors seemed bored and uninterested. So, you know, so that's that. Can I ask a question? Yes. Do you ever listen to this show? Yes, I'm amazed. I'm amazed, Michael, that you're still there. We are, again, we appreciate you uh, listening, and um, all opinions, you know, I are, don't are kind of welcome. But uh, you know, you have to say that 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 your objection to the movie is not based on what was in the movie. It was based on uh, a certain view of the world. I yeah. think, and, and and also without wishing to state the obvious, can I just state the obvious? If you feel like writing in to complain about Bond being too woke and too feminist, then find another movie review show. Also, the fact that you felt it necessary to add blue-haired before the word feminist kind of gives the game away. What does that actually mean? It means, well, what he's trying to, he's trying to denigrate uh, anyone who's a feminist, I think, into saying, but look, why blue haired? What is that? What, what, what planet is they're radical, crazy people. Look at them. They're blue-haired and ranting and raving. That's what it's... I think I think that's the... Okay. Do you get the sense... I don't know. Do you get the sense that... It's something used to happen in a newspaper that I write for. Every now and then you get a whole torrent of stuff underneath reviews that were clearly from people that did not read that paper, which was a vaguely liberal left-leaning paper. Yes. And you get... And you felt, have we been swarm-botted by readers of another paper? Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Or you know, every, all in all opinions are valid except ones that go blue-haired feminists and wokeness. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, just really, there are plenty of other movies. As we said before, shows. there are lots. Of, also, there are lots of reasons that you might watch that film and go, "I didn't like it for these yeah. reasons." I but know. If the I know. That you I know didn't like who, it is because it because it it was just to make them make it yeah, available I, to blue-haired feminists. Then I want to say loser. I know people who I who I know and respect very much who can't stand No Time to Die. And not one of them has a problem with it being either inverted commas woke or inverted commas feminist. If you, yeah, it's just, no, they have other reasons for hating it, which are completely legitimate reasons that I disagree with. But that is just preposterous tosh. One other um, email. And we have actually, we've touched on this subject. In fact, we touched on this uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but you might have seen this, uh, Mark, the charity Changing Faces. Yes. Uh, who support the visible difference community, people with a scar, a mark or condition. They wrote an open letter to the Bond producers. I mean, this actually is, is a way of saying also, it's j- just in parenthesis, just shows how, how unwoke in some ways the Bond film is, this current film is. Uh, and I, I, I'll just read you a couple of paragraphs. From yes, it. go ahead. Dear, uh, dear Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson, 
As No Time to Die finally reaches our cinema screens, we are excited to see Bond's latest gadgets, new agents in action, and the epic fight scenes. We know that Bond, what Bond means to so many, it's an institution, a fixture in British popular culture. And for local cinemas, this is a much-needed opportunity to reopen their doors and welcome an audience back after being closed due to COVID. But for us, a group of volunteer campaigners with disfigurements and visible differences, the release of No Time to Die also fills us with dread. Once again, the villains are marked out by the scars on their faces, a physical disfigurement or uh, an impairment. It's a trope, it's old-fashioned, and it's outdated, and it has an impact. The daily reality of living with a visible difference, such as a birthmark, skin condition or scarring, is contending with staring and comments. And for many of us, we regularly experience abuse and hate just because of how we look. We are hyper-visible when we open our front doors. Yet on screen and in popular culture, we are virtually unseen, unless... You want to be a, in quotes, baddie, of course. Researchers found that only one in five people with a visible difference have seen a character who looks like them as the hero in a film or on TV. Even fewer, 15%, have seen someone with a scar, a mark or condition that makes them look different playing the love interest on screen. Yet nearly double have seen someone with a visible difference cast as a villain or baddie. Uh, so for the next Bond movie, let's have a character, the hero, the strong sidekick or intelligent love interest who also happens to have a visible difference because we are not just villains. Will you please meet with us so we can discuss this idea? Anyway, uh, it's from the Changing Faces volunteer campaigners on behalf of Changing Faces. And not only is there a truth in that, but also it's worth saying, you think it's woke? Well, actually, it's not. Yeah. Also, can I say that that is the way to lodge a complaint? It was very well worded, very, very well made and completely legitimate. And also the thing about saying, let's have more positive examples. Um, you're right that there are there are, you know, sadly few. But in recent memory, I would say this is a film that we talked about a lot when it came out. Dirty God is a really, really interesting film and uh, should definitely be seen by the widest possible audience. But that is a completely legitimate and heartfelt criticism of the film that in its very construction is saying, let us find a better way forward. That is how you do it. Exactly. Very good. <clears throat> It'd be interesting to know what happens from that Next. and whether there's, uh, whether there's uh, any reaction. I, I have to tell you, my suspicion is that we are at a tipping point and that things will change. Mark says, um, this is Mark in the Netherlands, uh, I went to see No Time to Die in a Dutch theatre uh, yesterday afternoon and all I can say is this, it just works. Story works, characters work, the set pieces work, the locations work, especially the bit with the ferns. Is that how Mark identifies it? I think that's a forest is what you're looking for, I think. The music works. The bit with the ferns. Yeah, the jokes work. Not the best Bond, nor is it the best film of the year, but this is the stuff I want. When I go and sit in a dark room with strangers for nearly three hours, it just works. And actually, there is a point about that, which is, which is as we've touched on before, there is, this is what cinema has been waiting for. If you are going to spend... 10, 15 quid, whatever, go and see a movie, sit in a crowded room with a bunch of strangers. You have to think it's what I want is two and a half hours of top-notch entertainment, and that's what people have been working, working for. Yes. And uh, it just works. Thank you, Mark, uh, for that.